Let's take our Bibles this evening to Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. Now, Psalm 4 is very closely connected to Psalm 3. Uh, they have a lot of similarities in expression and structure, and we know that they stem from the same crisis, the crisis being David running for his life from his son Absalom. Now, David had been king in Jerusalem. Uh, he had been king for probably now uh, 30 to 40 years, and because of sin, David has been chastened by God, He's been removed from Jerusalem. He's been removed from the throne. Absalom has taken uh, control, and David's on the run, fleeing for his life. Now, the message of uh, Psalm 4 was likely written by David after spending the evening of Psalm 3 in the midst of danger. So Psalm 3 is our evening prayer. Psalm 4 is our morning prayer. Now, the message of Psalm 4 is as follows. Having cried out to God for help, David now warns his enemies, Don't sin against God by wronging me, because God has put me in protective custody. I'm in God's protective custody. And the fact that he knew he was in God's protective custody caused him to rejoice in the face of opposition. Let's begin with the superscription. For the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. This is the first mention in the book of Psalms of the choir director. He was the custodian, the keeper, if you will, of the Psalms at the tabernacle and then later the temple. The stringed instrument here refers to a harp or lyre. And it's wonderful to consider in this superscription that David turned a distressing crisis into a song to the glory of God. And his example here shows us what our response should be in a time of crisis. And that's to rejoice in the face of opposition. Let's look at verse 1 and see David's plea. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. I love how David begins here. Answer me. Literally, hear me, Lord. This is a passionate, concerned cry for help. He's been praying to God. He's been desperate to receive an answer. Lord, I need you to listen. And then he says, O oh God of my righteousness, implying it's not David's not praying to God because of his righteousness, because David's righteousness was what? Like filthy rags. He's able to pray to God because of God's righteousness. And any righteousness that David has, he's acknowledging, has come from God. Now, David's acknowledging, listen, I'm in this current situation because of my sin. God's chastening me because of my disobedience. But the fact that he could cry out to God of my righteousness means that God had once again given David righteousness, means David was forgiven. The fact that David was forgiven means that he had repented and confessed his sins before God. And so now he cries out to, the, to, to uh, God to vindicate him. He says, Relieve, you have relieved me in my distress. He's going back in, in history and looking at the times God has delivered him from his distress. Now the word distress is interesting here because it means to be backed into a corner, to be pressed into a corner. Uh, the word distress can uh, be uh, translated as pressure. Now when we think of pressure, pressure is something that when it's applied to something usually reduces the volume of the object under pressure. But God uses pressure to grow us, to enlarge us, to mature us spiritually. 
The reality, folks, is prosperity does very little for us. But pastor, listen, prosperity fills my bank account. Prosperity does this for me, does that for me, gets me nice things, takes me nice places. And that's true. But prosperity will do nothing for you spiritually. It is adversity. It is distress that will produce spiritual growth and maturity in our lives. Spurgeon once said, I'm afraid that all the grace I've got out of my comfortable and easy times, my happy hours, might almost lie on a penny. In other words, he says, of all the times of good I've had, all the times of comfort and ease I've had, I could put all of God's grace during those times on a penny. But the grace that I've received from my sorrows, pains, and griefs is incalculable. Think about that. That should be true of us. We should be looking at times of distress, seasons of distress, seasons of opposition, seasons of difficulties, evil times, if you will, as times when God pours out more grace upon us so that we can be growing and maturing spiritually. Let's look at David's protest in verses 2 and 3. O oh, sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you, will, will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Selah. But I know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, I like the fact here that in David's prayer that he's recording or writing down this conversation that he's had with his enemies. Now, the reality is he didn't have an actual conversation with them. But it's like you and I, when we're, when we're contemplating you know, what we're going to say to somebody that's done us dirty, we, we, we have the whole conversation in our head. And that's what David's doing here. He's having this conversation of what he'd like to say to these people who, who have maligned and slandered him. And I'll tell you something. People that will malign and slander you are unprincipled people. They are carping critics. They will drag your name through the mud. They will try to assassinate your character. They will try to besmirch your reputation with baseless accusations and downright falsehoods. And David's saying, how long is your mindlessness against me going to continue? But he says, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not going to lose no sleep about it. At the end of the day, I'm not going to fret about it. You know why? Because the Lord has set apart it for himself, the one who is godly. God has set apart the godly man for himself. Like Zechariah 2.8 says, we are the apple of his eye. If you're a godly one, Isaiah 49, 16 says, He has engraved your name in the palm of His hand. And that assurance to, for us is what drives us to call and to cry out to God for assistance. This is what Paul's argument in Romans eight thirty one is based upon. If God be for us, who can successfully be against us? Now, I'm sure some of you are dealing with some kind of opposition, whether it's from friends, family, neighbors, people you work with, wherever it's coming from. If you as a child of God are dealing with some kind of opposition, know this. Regardless of how long their mindless, raging, and carping criticism goes on, their efforts will be futile because God is on your side. Let's go to verses 4 and 5 and look at David's proclamation. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. 
Here in verses 4 and 5, David is speaking to the people who are with him. There were people still loyal to David who fled with him. And they were overcome with emotion. Then things are about to get out of hand because they're all, we ought to be doing this. We ought to be doing this. Everybody's got an opinion fueled by emotion. And David gave them six instructions. Six instructions that are useful for you and me today when we find ourselves getting angry. Because I'm going to tell you something. Anger will rob you of joy. Anger will consume you of joy and peace. Now, if you want to rejoice in the face of opposition, you've got to get your anger under control. And we're not talking about righteous indignation here. We're not talking about being angry over things that offend God. Unrighteousness. We're talking about anger because we're not getting our way. or not doing what we want, how we want, when we want, where we want. We got to get that anger under control. And David gives us six things. Number one, you got to tremble. Tremble. We need to fear the Lord. And if you and I fear the Lord, guess what? We don't need to fear anything else. Fear the Lord. Then he says, number two, do not sin. See, if you have anger inside of you about a situation or a person or whatever, the, whatever it may be, and before a holy God, it's not justified. It's not righteous indignation. It's not because I'm angry because, you know, they're, they're committing immorality. Or I'm angry because they've sinned against God. They blasphemed God. No, you're angry because they didn't do what you wanted. You're angry because they said something. You're angry because you're not getting your way. Whatever the anger may be, don't sin. And he tells us that because anger begins in the heart. It begins with your thoughts. But when you've got sinful thoughts towards somebody, soon those thoughts are going to become sinful words, and those words are going to become sinful deeds. This is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 4.26 when he said, Be angry and do not sin. Don't be guilty of unholy anger. Get your thoughts under control. Tremble, fear God. Do not sin. Number three, Meditate in your heart, the verse says. Still in verse 4. You know, it's easy to get angry at others. It's even easy to get angry at their sin and stupidity. All the while ignoring our own sin and stupidity. Read Matthew 7, 1 to 5 sometime. This is what David himself was guilty of doing back in 2 Samuel 12. Remember old Nathan come? Oh, David, some guy stole some, guy, some other guy's lamb. Only lamb the guy had, and somebody stole him. David's all filled with anger. I want to know who that man is. That man's going to pay threefold. And Nathan said, David, you the man. You the man, David. See, David was quick to get angry. David was quick to be able to point out everybody else's sin, what everybody else needs. Listen, you need to stop and check yourself. Speak to your own heart. Instead of tossing and turning in bed because of everything everybody else is doing, take inventory. See if there's sin in your own heart that needs to be confessed. So meditate in your heart. Number four, still in verse four. Be still. Literally, be sorry for the things you say in your heart. Say to your own heart, sin not. Honestly examine your own heart 
And when you do, it should lead you to confess your sins to the Lord and claim His gracious forgiveness. Number five, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. You see, Absalom, like so many people today, even quote-unquote Christians, are giving insincere and hypocritical sacrifices simply to impress other people. You need to examine why you do what you do, why you serve the Lord, what sacrifices you make. Oh, well, you know, I did this and I did that. How wonderful I am. Pat myself on the back. Listen, that's not a sacrifice of righteousness. A sacrifice of righteousness is something you've done for someone else or for the Lord that you didn't need to tell anybody about. Keep your mouth shut. Make sure you're doing it as unto the Lord. Because you know what? God don't accept insincere and hypocritical sacrifices. And number six, trust in the Lord. You don't need to trust in somebody's leadership or clever strategy or popularity with people. You need to trust the Lord. Because God's plans never fail. Man's plans are destined to fail. Finally, let's look at verses 6 through 8. The praise, David's praise. We've seen in verse 1, David's plea. Verses 2 and 3, David's protest. Verse 4 and 5, David's proclamation. And now verse 6 to 8, David's praise. He's about to rejoice in the face of opposition. Verse 6, many are saying, Who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when there are grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You know, David's friends and leaders that were surrounding him were coming and telling him, listen, this is what people are saying. So-and-so saying this and -and so-and-so. Don't you love that? You get that phone call? Well, they said, well, these ones are taught. Well, who are they? Who are these ones? People tell me, well, you know, people are taught. Give me names. Well, I can't give you Well, if you can't give me names, shut your mouth. Because it's just garbage. It's nonsense. It's gossip. If they got a problem, let those people call. Let those people go to that person. Stop throwing the snowballs. But that's what these people were doing. All oh, the people are saying, David, who's going to show us any good? They're saying, can any good thing come out of this? Who's going to get us out of this plight? Now, you know what? You got to ask yourself, what kind of good were these people looking for? I'll tell you what they were looking for. They wanted their material wealth back. They wanted their peace back. They wanted their security back. And they were willing to get their peace and security and their wealth at any price. They weren't seeking a godly king. They wanted a successful new king. You see, there's many today who want prosperity and happiness. They're yearning to see some kind of good. But the trouble is, they want blessing without the blesser. They want good without God. They want all the benefits of a Christ-filled life, but they don't want the benefactor. David knew what kind of goodness he wanted. The light of God's smile upon him and the people. To know that God was well-pleased and that he would take care of everything. Now, I'm sure in David's mind, as he's penning these words, the words of Numbers 6, 24 to 26 came back to him. While certainly there was no priest to present to bestow that blessing, David knew that God could answer the prayer of his heart. Lord, let your face shine upon thee and give me peace. 
Finally, David praised God for the peace that he had placed in his heart before the battle had been fought and won. That's awesome. David, even before the battle began, had peace. Because he knew that God was his shield. Go back to Psalm 3, verse 3. Now, the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, means more than just the absence of conflict. Peace is the, is the idea of adequacy for life. It's confidence and fullness of life. Reminds me of Deuteronomy 33, verse 12. The beloved of the Lord will dwell safely by him who shelters him all day long. See, that's peace. But peace only comes when God's face is shining upon you. And God's face is only going to shine upon you as you seek after him. You see, David was able to rejoice in the face of opposition because he stopped listening to what everybody else was saying. He did these six things in verses 4 and 5. He started trembling. He, he stopped sinning. He meditated in his own heart. He, he stopped and stayed still, examined himself, offered a sacrifice of righteousness and trusted in the Lord. And now he's seeking God's face. Are you seeking God's face? If you want to rejoice, then you've got to find peace with God. That peace beyond understanding. And we can have that peace. We can rejoice in the face of opposition when we're reassured that the Lord is all-sufficient. When the moment you understand the all-sufficiency of God, your inner agitation will subside. You will lie down in peace and sleep. You will know that it is God and God alone who will make you to dwell in safely. What a change. A prayer produces in eight short verses. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you and Lord, I ask that you would do for us as you did for David. That Lord, you might shine your face upon us and give us peace. That you would smile upon us, Father. But Lord, I pray that we would take the six steps necessary that David enunciated here in verses 4 and 5. Lord, we need to examine ourselves. And Father, if there's anything in us, any kind of sin that's displeasing to you, that we might not only just say sorry. No, more than that, Lord, we might confess it and forsake it. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to that end, to stop looking at everybody else's sin, what everybody else ought to be doing, and first and foremost, consider what we ought to be doing. Lord, help us to stop listening to all the naysayers and all the people out there trying to talk against you and talk against us. Shut the mouths of those lions. Shut our ears from hearing those lions. And attune our ears to you, to hear from you. Father, I pray that, Lord, we might gain a better understanding of your character, your all-sufficiency. And Lord, as we do, our anger, our agitation might subside. Lord, help us to sleep in peace. Help us to know that because you are our protector, we can dwell in safety. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.